Hello and welcome to the most effective advertising campaign in the world. Which is this campaign for the Master of Advertising Effectiveness, a six-week online program in partnership with Walk that'll give you a next-level understanding of the evidence-based principles of advertising effectiveness. The very same principles we've used to create this. The most effective advertising campaign in the world. Over the coming years, you'll experience a campaign that's perfectly budgeted and targeted over both the short and long terms and replete with emotion, distinctive assets, and most importantly, creativity. It will at some point result in you visiting our website, mae.academy, signing up, becoming a master of advertising effectiveness, and also becoming a piece of hard evidence that this is in fact the most effective advertising campaign in the world. Hello and welcome to the Walk podcast. My name is Anna Hamill and I'm Senior Editor for Brands at Walk. Today's episode is the first of a new collection interviewing marketing leaders at some of the world's most influential brands. In today's episode, Doug Martin, who is Chief Brand and Disruptive Growth Officer at General Mills, is joining us. In this interview, we talk about the challenges and opportunities of artificial intelligence, keeping iconic brands relevant, and the importance of staying the course on brand building investment. Enjoy the conversation and stay tuned for more interviews in the coming weeks. Doug, welcome to the Walk Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, General Mills is coming off a few very successful years, including another great quarter most recently. From a marketing perspective, what have been the key contributors to driving that long-term success? Yes, absolutely. So obviously, it's been a pretty unusual couple of years here with everything going on in the world. And I think from a marketing perspective, the most important thing for us during that time has been to stay the course, continue to invest in our brands, continue to invest in innovation. Because the truth is, the consumer has been at home more than normal over the last course of the last three years, and it could be tempting to pull back. But for us, that brand building is a long-term effort of consistent delivery over time. So that's been hugely important. Right. And brands have been through a lot in the last few years. There's been a lot of change. Tell us a little bit about that journey from your perspective. What are you proud of? What are you thinking about in terms of those big accomplishments? But also maybe what did you learn from that time? Well, I think, first of all, what we learned was that the power of the entire rest of our organization to continue to be able to actually put a product on the shelf in an incredibly tumultuous time was very important. So super thankful for the team that we have that was able to do that. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that we learned, which is the most obvious thing possible, was now and into the future, agility is going to be the most important trait and right. the most important thing that we can build into our organization. Yeah. Um, how does that economic upheaval that we're going through at the moment, I know a lot of your brands are US-based. How are you? How is that impacting your thinking around marketing strategy specifically? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think we are fortunate in that our business is primarily food at home. And so, yes, there has been a cost of living crisis in many parts of the world. But I think the first thing that a consumer asks themselves when they think about their food budget is, should I trade off some out-of-home experiences for in-home? So in that sense, we haven't had the same level of pressure maybe some other categories have, but we really need to continue to invest in building the brands. Because as I said, it is decades of consistent contributions to the brand equity bucket that made our brands what they are today. Have you seen any other changes uh, from consumers, for example, trading down or any pricing pressures or anything like that? 
Absolutely. I think when you look at the household budget, most times food is one of the top three most important items in terms of contribution to the household budget. So as the total budget comes under pressure, yeah, consumers are going to be thinking about trading down, and that might be from out of home to us, or it might be from us to a non-branded product. And so in that environment, we absolutely need to make sure that we are consistently delivering remarkable products and experience so that as consumers are making really tough choices, we don't become one of those choices. And what, and well-managed pricing has been a big part of your success story as a company in recent years, especially in that inflationary environment we're currently in. You know, your costs of production have been up in terms of getting these products on the shelves. Um, and that's from your most recent earnings report. How big of a role has building those strong brands that you spoke about played in minimizing price sensitivity to keep growing and keep your customers coming back to you? Yeah, a huge role. And I think everyone's seen the headlines and we've all learned things like, for example, that Ukraine was responsible for more than half of the world's sunflower oil, an important ingredient in our products. And grain. Yeah, obviously a huge grain basket. And so the pressure is out there from an input standpoint. And we as marketers do do a lot of measurement of things like what is our brand love and how are people perceiving our brands, but ultimately a consumer's willingness to pay for your product is the best measure of brand strength. And I think that because we've been focused on building these brands over time, we probably weathered the pricing better than many brands have. New product innovation is a huge part of that story as well. And I saw a figure saying that new product retail sales are up 30% as mm-hmm. a result of the, the investment that you've been putting into that area. What other payoffs are you seeing from that focus on new product, new innovation? Yeah, well, as as some of our competitors were going through some of these supply chain changes, challenges, if you can't get your biggest, best products on the shelf, then it can seem crazy to focus on innovation in that environment. I think because of the strength of our supply chain team, we were able to continue to do that. And so, you know, the brand, what is a brand in a consumer's mind? It's nothing but a series of intangible associations. And I think innovation, in in particular, product innovation, can lead a consumer to say something to themselves like, you know what, this brand always has something for me, right? So finding new ways to surprise and delight them, new ways to solve a problem, continues to elevate the total brand in their mind. Any specific examples of innovations which have performed really well that have excited you in the marketing team? Absolutely. I'll give you, you know, sometimes you really think about an innovation, sometimes you overthink about it, and sometimes it's super simple. So we launched a series of versions of our most popular cereals called minis, and they are very small versions of our existing cereals. And very delicious versions. And very delicious, and by the way, hugely successful. And so that's on track to be a $100 million business in year one. And uh, we always thought it was going to be good. You know, people say, what if it was small, but also still delightful? And we say, yes, please. But then all of a sudden, I think consumers found it as another reason to retry a brand that they loved but maybe weren't consistently buying today. So just a new way to capture attention, a new way to remind people, hey, I've always loved that product and that's really performing well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, You spoke so much about investing in those brands, really Mm -hmm. thinking long-term. How do you do that versus delivering that short-term and immediate impact? Can those two things exist simultaneously in your view? Yeah, I think the short and unsatisfying answer is they absolutely have to. The longer answer is that is one of the evergreen dilemmas that we as marketers face. And I think one of the things we're trying to do is think about it not as purely short-term versus 
purely long-term, but thinking more about how are we managing that balance of building broad awareness and building consideration and conversion, right? So some of those short-term um, tactics tend to be a little further down the funnel towards conversion, and that's always important. But if you only and always fun focus on conversion tactics, you're going to fail to continue to replenish the long-term, more purpose-built part of the brands. And so I always wish that there was a very simple and specific formula. Do 35% of this and 65% of this. It's, it's not quite that simple. But I think we have a lot of experience of realizing when we've done one too much more than the other and realizing we needed to kind of affect our mix so it ends up just being a constant like trial, test, learn, iterate, and make it better over time. And that's probably going to look different in terms of media investment across all of the different brands that you're working on, right? Do, a- do you have any examples of how that works when you translate that philosophy to your media investment? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I think we make individual level brand decisions. And I think you're in a very different place on a brand like Cheerios than you are on a brand where you're more still creating what those associations are. So on Cheerios, a brand that really does mean something quite important for people in their lives, it means family, it means heart, it means wellness. But at the same point in time, when I go to walmart.com and search for cereal, it better come up in the search display. So that's a place where I think the the brand team understands so deeply how we've built those associations over time that they continue to invest there but understand tactically that we need to really also perform very well in some of those lower funnel uh, activations at the same time. Yeah, and and consumers do have decades-long yeah. emotional connections to so many of your brand's Cheerios being one. How do you evolve those brands over time to stay relevant and fresh to new generations of buyers coming in? Yeah, I think the first point is that we want a pretty consistent foundation of meaning for the brand. So, you know, it's not like we're going to change Cheerios away from family and love, right? But that is also so evergreen that it's then about how do I bring that to life today in a way that breaks through, connects, feels modern, etc. So I think for the most part, it's about knowing what you stand for over the long term, being quite reluctant to change that unless there's really a reason to, and then constantly asking yourself, and is the way that that's coming to life today for today's consumer, modern, relevant, engaging, etc. How are you uh, making the most of these emerging media channels uh, to... Yeah to take that kind of long-term decades long thinking and emotional connection with your brands and, yeah. and thinking about how you apply that to the new opportunities coming up in the media market. Well, first of all, let me say it would be great if we went back to a world where there were three TV channels because it would just and be- And print. Yeah, print, maybe a coupon. <laughs> yes, yeah, Throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go all the way to skywriting, but <laughs> point being that there are a million channels. And so- I think what we try to do at General Mills is have an audience connection strategy and not a channel strategy. And what I mean by that is it's not up to us to determine where people want to spend their time with what media, with what device, et cetera, but it is up to us to be extremely aware of how they are spending that time and then get the right message in front of them at the right time. And so, you know, the classic example is we're on a 
very long trajectory of people moving away from linear and towards, you know, streaming video services. And so it's got to be a constant evolution of making sure that our media plans match that. And then that's what we do. And the social media landscape is evolving so quickly as well. Totally. And again, you know, we tend to have quite widely penetrated brands. We're in a lot of households, which means we need big audiences. And so we need to be on platforms that have a lot of uh, people there. You know, the same thing. We're not deciding it's time for you to go to the metaverse, right? We want to be where you are spending your time. And so the social media platforms, if you think about those often as places that people are going for inspiration, particularly as they're thinking about what's for dinner or what food they're going to have. Well, if they're in that mindset, then that's a place that we need to be. Yeah. Uh, Where do you see the growth potential for your brands going forward and how does marketing play a role in making that happen? Great question. And I think first and foremost, we think that a brand that is loved and is getting into more households has nothing but opportunity to continue on that trajectory and to grow where, where the growth is coming from. So we want to make sure that we're investing in those foundations, that we are loved, that we are getting that trial, because we believe strongly that with that trial is going to come the repeat and loyalty that comes with it. And then it is also about um, ensuring that we're testing and learning, right? You talked about the, the evolving media landscape. There are a lot of places where, well, there's an audience today, but it's not the mass audience. So how do we have our foot in the water and make sure we're ready as the mass comes with it? Mm. Are there any specific media channels where you are piloting or experimenting at the moment? Well, well, I'll give you the the kind of obvious example of one where we were piloting and then the scale came quicker than anyone expected, and that's TikTok. You know, it is not that long ago that we thought of TikTok as a place for teens to go to do dances. And now you got 45-year-old guys there going for their barbecuing tips. You know, so it has very quickly become for everyone and very quickly become extremely relevant for food. And so I'm glad that we experimented early because now it's an increasingly important part of our plan. Yeah, so creators in the influencer economy is booming, obviously, with the growth of TikTok and all these amazing food trends. How have you taken advantage of that space? And where do you think it's going to go next? Well, I think it's just going to continue to evolve. I'll give you a specific example of something that happened uh, on TikTok was there there was a creator who realized that when you put a scoop of ice cream inside of a fruit roll-up, it becomes kind of crispy. And they put it out there and it maybe got like 14,000 views. And then everybody took it and shared it. And we went through probably two months worth of fruit roll-up volume in a week and a half or something like that. It just scaled remarkably because, you know, we talk about solve problems, deliver joy. What a fun little thing to be like, hey, surprise kids, look at what happens. So I think what we're trying to do, again, coming back to that point of agility, is be ready to amplify those voices that maybe come through organically Um, so that we can be a part of these trends. And then we can be a part of it with our customers. You know, we're able to talk to a customer and be like, hey, you should think about putting a secondary display of fruit roll-ups next to your vanilla ice cream, which would have been a crazy point to make without the TikTok uh, creation that happened. Yeah, uh, that's an incredible example. I didn't know that. Yeah, and And also you should try it, it's fun. Yeah, uh, in terms of, I guess that's an organic moment that came out of TikTok. Is there a temptation in trying to create those moments as part of the brand platform, or is that just something you always need to be ready to respond to and act on? I think it's sort of both. I think you absolutely should be partnering with uh, influencers, whether they be large-scale or micro-influencers. I think what I have found, though, is it's it's hard to predict a virality, right? So what you can be doing is partnering with people who you you think share a set of values, maybe 
actually really love your brand. And then, you know, you see what goes vi viral and then you, you apply more fuel to that fire. So um, I think it is a combination of creating content, partnering with folks and staying on your toes and being ready. Yeah, that's a good, a good uh, philosophy to have on all of marketing at the moment, given the pace totally. of change. Yeah. Um, I want to pivot a little bit more into media now um, and specifically AI, because I know that mm -hmm. this is something that your company has been thinking a lot about. And recently uh, you launched um, a body of work around cutting misinformation uh, out of a balanced media diet, in including AI-created deepfakes uh, in particular. Uh, and you had launched a new uh, partnerships with YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook to do that. Tell me a little bit about the motivation behind that work. Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, I think our collective response to AI is not settled yet. And what I mean by that is that, you know, eight months ago, very few of us were having this conversation. Today, it's everywhere. It is a mainstream story. And I think the last thing that a consumer wants is to feel tricked. And we don't want to be a part of that. So I think when I'm confident that, you know, General Mills is super thoughtful and um, a cr a creative, but also like honest advertiser. And most big brands are, and most of our big platform brands are. So I think what's important is for us to come together and say, we are not here to fool the consumer. We are here to create content that is delightful for them. And if that means letting people know it was generated by AI, wonderful, because we want to make sure that we're not damaging any of those relationships. Right. So it's all about disclosure and transparency Absolutely. and accountability. And honestly, you know, it could very well be that if we were sitting here a year from now, two years from now, it's so ubiquitous that nobody thinks it's weird anymore. And, I, you know, that could be the way the audience per perception settles. But I don't want to be a part of anything that makes anyone feel tricked in the meantime. Yeah, totally. Um, obviously, there's, you know, we've covered the risk side, but what do you see as the areas where AI-driven tools can add the most value to your brands and your marketing work? I will tell you something. Uh, one is that we're early on the journey internally in terms of how we're taking advantage of this. But two, personally, I'm 100% convicted that this is going to be transformative to how we work. So early on, I think it's easiest for us to focus on efficiency. And just to give you an example, every one of our customers, and by customers, I mean like grocery chains, has a different set of rules for how they want product copy displayed on their e-commerce e sites. That is a tremendous amount of work for someone to version everything. We are now at a spot where we can write one perfect set of product copy for whatever family-sized Cheerios, hit a button, and then it has 50 characters in its title for this real retailer, 75 for this one, et cetera, instantaneously. So that's just taking really non-value added work out of the system. That's where we'll start. The transformation is going to come when we get to automation of finding the right audience and creating the right content. So as we move from a world of one message for everybody the same everywhere to a world of, I want to tell the right person the right thing at the right time, I really think generative AI is going to be the tool that unlocks that capability. What about the regulatory conversation around um, AI, for example, and the same situation is happening with data at the moment around privacy? Do you foresee any issues around that in terms of how you may be able to get the most value out of AI? Yeah, I'll come back to the point of that our collective response to generative AI is not settled yet. And by far, the regulatory response is not either. We're in most parts of the world just at a spot where governments are saying, we should really think about this. 
And so it does connect very much to the data privacy conversation. And we want to make sure that we are 100% complying with anything that's out there. Um, and so a lot of it is we're going to have to see what develops. And in the meantime, we're going to have to do things that we feel confident in and that we feel are transparent for the consumer. Yeah. Connected commerce um, powered by data has been a big priority for consumer brands. You know, there's a lot of ongoing work across the industry to connect e-commerce and physical retail, bring those two things together. How is that going for your brands and what have you learned from that work so far? Well, I would first of all say that from a a category standpoint, people were a little less e-commerce tipped in food versus some other categories. The pandemic, we probably saw maybe 10 years of acceleration of e-commerce over the course of the first year of the pandemic for obvious reasons. And when people find something that they find adds convenience to their life, they stick with it. So here we are. It's critically important. It's going to continue to grow. So I think we have realized that it is incredibly important to have the right thing in the right place. And we have, you know, 150 years of, of learning of like how to make sure a Think about a cereal aisle. How does it look great when I show up in the store? We had to learn that just as much on the e-commerce side and learn what the differences are. And I think we really went through a lot of that over the pandemic. And then I think in addition to that, then just figuring out how do I think about my audience and the messages that I'm getting to them across all of these ecosystems that sometimes right now are not really connected from a data and visibility standpoint. And so that's where I think a lot of work is still ongoing for us to make sure that if I have connected with you in, in Walled Garden A, but would like you to, to make an actual purchase in Walled Garden B, how do I actually follow that bouncing ball? And I think we as an industry are, are figuring that out. Yeah. How are you thinking about retail media in the context of all of that? Well, I think the, the simplest way to think about it is that retail media is an incredible way for us to drive our e-commerce sales. We believe that the e-commerce sales will be the growth area in the future, so it makes a lot of sense to win there now. And retail media is a great conversion driver in that space. So that's the simplest way to think about it. So we think it's a place that's going to be a continued growth area for investment. But that piece of managing my audience across channels and across, you know, ecosystems is the place that there's a challenge. I want to make sure that I'm connecting with you as a primary customer, someone we think is a valuable consumer, the right amount of times, not annoying you because I don't know that I've hit you 10 times over here and now I'm hitting you 10 times over here. You know, that just leads to waste at the most uh, straightforward level. And then, as I said, annoyance at a higher level. So I think work to do there. Let's talk about some of the uh, interesting brand activations that I've seen from your brands, which are really out of the box and, and super fun. I saw Cinnamon Toast Crunch is sponsoring WrestleMania 39 yes. Yes. Uh, this year. Is that one that's close to your heart? It is. <laughs> and not because I'm a giant wrestling person, but because it's an awesome activation that really works. And um, essentially, you know, we try to start with knowing the core consumer. And one of the journeys that we've been on is sometimes, I think sometimes we can be a little modest and say, hey, we're Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Do we have a a right to show up over here? But there's two things that I think we've really learned. One, in that case, the people who love us really love us. And two, there's other things they love, other fandoms that they're a part of. And if we can leverage the right influencer, in this case, the WWE, and connect those dots, then they're thrilled to have us show up. 
And, and the last thing that I think is exciting about that particular case is that Cinnamon Toast Crunch has also been on a four-year journey to connect more deeply with a multicultural teen. And we when we looked at the WWE audience, it was really valuable and, and, and connected to that teen as well. So it can be about the core of the brand, which is really fun and having like the, the delightful cinnamon and milk tastes show up in different places. And then just associating ourselves with like-minded brands that have a like-minded affinity and, and ultimately what that does is it grows the, in my mind, the, the mental space for CTC that exists in that core consumer's mind. Are there any um, exciting or unexpected activations from that uh, partnership that we can expect at the event itself? Well, I think the, first of all, the Cinemojis just showing up throughout, which by the way, are the little animated pieces of cereal showing up throughout the televised version of that was great. And I think it's just a thing that continues to build our confidence to say, well, where else might we, you know, make these unusual connections and associations? And we've done it on brands like Reese's Puffs that have partnered with people starting with, you know, Travis Scott and then moving into... Uh, cause and the art. And then finally, our most recent example being partnership with Yoon An of the Ambush brand. We never would have started with, hey, what about Yoon An and Ambush? Mostly because most of our executives would have said, well, who is that and what are you talking about? But because we had built this series of successful integrations with several fandoms, we knew it was going to work and we had a different level of confidence. Great. Um what are some of the newer marketing moves that you're thinking about that maybe we're less familiar with now that you're particularly excited about over the next 12 months? Well, I think in terms of the capabilities that we are trying to unlock, we are doing a lot of thinking internally about our enterprise data strategy and then what are the implications of that in terms of the way that we set up our teams. So we all know first-party data incredibly important, uh, deprecation of the cookie, all of that, et cetera. But I think now is the time for us to think about from when we acquire a consumer's information all the way to when we are driving an activation with that information, what are we doing inside to think about lowering the silos between teams and making that as easy and seamless as possible? So I'll tell you that some of the things I'm most excited about are, or, or actually think are the most challenging are the ways that we work internally. Okay. Um, I, I noted that your job description has the word disruption yes. in it. What does that mean to you in the co context of your role, but mm -hmm. also in the marketing team more widely? Yeah. Well, uh, two things. First and foremost is that there is a disruptive growth team that, that reports to me. And what they are working on is thinking about those big picture disruptions that might be coming down the path to disrupt a business like ours. And then we're either, we have a venture capital group that invests in opportunities and an organic incubator that is building brands with three-person teams by trying to move as quickly as possible to low fidelity, real interactions with consumers. So that is a, a separate organization that is really working on those next growth drivers. But across the full team, I think what this says is, listen, guys, we have got to have a growth mindset and we have got to be doing the things and building the capabilities that ultimately could be proprietary advantages to let us grow faster than other companies. So that gets into things like, you know, the data strategy I talked about, performance marketing, are we set up to, do, to most effectively build with the multicultural consumer, things like that. Yeah. 
talent is a consistent issue yeah. at the moment in the marketing industry. And that's across brands, it's across agencies, it's across all different types of businesses and categories. When you're building out your marketing teams and your capabilities, what skill sets are top of mind for you right now? Yeah. And you can see where, hey, if you have something like performance marketing, if someone's got a bunch of experience doing performance marketing, now's a good time to be in the job market. One of the things that I think we are trying to prioritize is if the corporate word is agility, the individual word is mindset. And I would much rather have someone on the team with a hunger to learn and grow. No, sure, it's great to have all that experience already. But the person with the desire to learn is going to be more valuable over the long term because I tell you, I don't know what's coming next. And I know that we don't know everything internally about what's coming next and we're all going to be learning. Yeah, and you've you've had you've got this uh, company that's decades old. It's had to yeah. pivot and change constantly, and that's just part of life in the marketing world now. And and being a a, a brand with longevity uh, is about being able to change and weather all of that disruption. One hundred percent. We made a few changes on my team just recently, and one of the things I said as we we're rolling it out is, guess what? This is what it's going to be like forever. We are always going to be looking at the work we're doing and decide if we could organize ourselves more efficiently or effectively because the world's changing pretty fast. Yeah, and that sense of upheaval perhaps over the last few years is now the new normal. Exactly. And for those people, listen, I understand the desire to go back to normal, but I'm sorry it's not happening. And so if you're if you're hoping to get back to a place of no change, you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah. Was there anything that you took from that time that you've been able to keep or that now that you you've been able to you know, move past. I think the reality was that time gave us a view of who adapted really well, who was ready to change what they were doing for the moment. And I think, like I said, those are the folks who are going to help us be successful in the future, no matter what it looks like, because none of us know. And that hustle culture is difficult in a big company. It's exhausting. How have you made it work? Well, I think we've had to really thoughtfully balance hustle culture, which now I think definitely has a bad name with employee engagement and wellness, right? Like we we really want to offer a value proposition to employees that says, yes, you are going to help us build our brands, but also you are going to be building yourself as a marketer, as an employee. You're going to be adding value to your own life, learning new things. And, and it has to be those two things meeting each other in the middle. Yeah. And that's a big part of the recruitment conversation totally. as well. Yeah. Yeah. New generation of people coming through with new motivations. Yeah. Why would you come? I mean, I, I came to a company 18 years ago with a, a vague notion that I wanted to know how to build a brand. I couldn't have explained it much better than that. But that's still why you would come here today. It's just now through the lens of 2023 and the way you build a brand today. Yeah. Um, when it comes to market, how marketing is changing, what do you think is not being talked about enough in the industry right now? I do think people, right? So we try to talk internally about both loving our consumers and the way that our brands can meaningfully add value in their life, just as much as we talk about them loving us. And the same goes for employees. You know, we have to love our employees too. We have to understand that Listen, that's a lot of your life that you're donating, a lot of your waking life in particular to this company, and you've got to get something out of it. Um, and it's got to be a symbiotic relationship. So, you know, in, in my perspective, if you start from those two places, everyone's going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But the mistakes you make, two things are, one, going to be coming from a good place and more correctable. And two, if people know where that's, that's where you're coming from, they're going to give you a little bit more grace. 
to make those mistakes. And so that's that's really the starting point for yeah. me. My last question for you is uh, a bit more of a philosophical one, mm. perhaps. And I want to ask you, what do you see as the biggest opportunity and the biggest challenge facing marketers in the next 12 months? I think the biggest opportunity is in an incredibly complex environment and ecosystem where attention is going to be forever more and more hard to get. How do I how do I really bring something to you of meaning that will resonate? And the challenge is the exact same thing, right? Is like, it, there are so many people trying to do that same thing in the same environment that it can just be a lot of noise coming at consumers. But I think the answer to the challenge and the opportunity comes back to starting with a place of coming from a spot of love and, and building a brand that has a purpose, that has a reason to be. And that purpose is not solely serving the brand, it's serving the consumer that the brand is, is speaking to. That's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I know that our listeners will have gotten a huge amount out of uh, your wisdom and expertise. So thank you very much. Awesome. It was great to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this interview mini series. For more exclusive insights from CMOs, check out more of our interviews on walk.com. Have a great day. Thank you.